Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Solo Collective, and I'm Rebecca Seal. I never expected that any of the conversations around solo working that I would be having would be about food until I started writing my book. And then I discovered through the research that I was doing and the conversations I was having with other solo workers that actually it was something that people found incredibly complicated and difficult and that we have a real tension around how we feed ourselves when we work by ourselves. I wouldn't say I've never found lunches difficult. I would say that I went through university primarily subsisting on Philadelphia cream cheese and bagels with the occasional packet of salt and vinegar chip sticks, if anyone remembers those. And it it was really quite a lot later in life that I began to understand the power of a really good lunch. And as a solo worker, I've definitely had phases where I felt so busy and so stressed that I have, you know, fallen back on the the hunk of cheese and the dry bit of bread eaten at speed. And that's why I wanted to speak to Signe Johansson, because she's written this fantastic book called Solo as well, The Joy of Cooking for One. And I wanted to have this conversation because I knew that she would have even more to say about this topic than I do, and even more thoughts about the kind of difficulties and joyful things around feeding ourselves when we're by ourselves. But she also has a degree in archaeology and anthropology from Cambridge. And she trained at Leith in cookery. And she's just brilliant. She's so fascinating. I love the way in this conversation that she weaves these different threads of her identity into the way that she thinks about food. I think that many of us will find things that we can take away from this, not least the power of a really good fish finger sandwich when you're on your own, but also just a little bit of relief from the the pressure of thinking and talking about work in and of itself. Because this conversation is about taking a break and it's about making something really good for yourself in the middle of your working day is an act of self-care. It's an opportunity to do something really, really kind and lovely to yourself. And that is one of the great freedoms about working by or for yourself. I guess I wanted to preface this whole conversation with why I wanted to talk about food when you work by yourself in the first place. Because when I was writing my book solo, I didn't really think I was going to write anything about food. Because although I'm a food writer, I just didn't think it was particularly going to be part of the conversation. And then when I asked a group of people on some Facebook groups, um, like freelancers Facebook groups, what questions they'd like me to answer, the thing came up over and over again, like, How do I not eat cereal all day? Mm. How do I not live on toast? How do I not um, eat everything in the fridge? How do I not only eat biscuits? And I I kind of realised suddenly that it was much more of a problem for people, um, much more of an issue that they wanted help to navigate in their solo working lives. And so I ended up writing a chapter about it. And then subsequently, I've written a few recipes for people who um, work by themselves, like quick lunches and things. And I've been really surprised (laughs) at the kind of level of interest and the kind of like, oh my God, thanks, you know, something that's not 
like a plain ham sandwich. And I, I can't say that I've always been brilliant at feeding myself when I'm on my own. So it's not as though I didn't know this stuff personally. I did, but I have been kind of shocked at the level of um, interest and almost need. And I guess I wondered whether whether you've had a parallel experience because your book, Solo, is The Joy of Cooking for One, which came out in 2018 and is brilliant. It's such a brilliant idea. But did you have the same thing? Did you find, maybe more so in the last year than than before, but have you had people saying, oh, thank, thank God somebody's talking about cooking for one person? Because that's not how recipes are written, right? Everything's for four right. or six <laughs> or two at the minimum. Yeah. But, you know, hardly anybody writes a one-person recipe. And I think yeah. that's really challenging if you live by yourself or you work by yourself. That's a real yeah. difficulty. So, so tell me a bit about how you got into doing it in the first place and why it felt important. Well, I was actually asked by my publisher to write solo because she is a keen cook and she felt there was a need for a solo cookbook. It was as simple as that. She said, look, I, I just, I don't know what to cook for myself. There's plenty of cookbooks out there with wonderful recipes for, as you say, that feed two, four, six, eight, ten people, however many. And I think because cookbooks in general have become so aspirational, you know, this idea of the conviviality and the kind of coming together and the sort of the festive, lovely side of cooking is always emphasized. I mean, we know this not just from cookbooks, but also from television and from, you know, from programs and just the whole culture of it, really. You go to a restaurant, you tend to go with other people. So when she mentioned this to me, I was like, actually, yes, I love cooking for myself. I've done it for decades and I find it both therapeutic and joyful, which is a happy coincidence. <laughs> and, you know, I've got experience doing it for a long time. And I thought, actually, it's a nice departure from thinking about Scandinavian food, which I've been doing for quite some time. I thought, why not? If she's willing to commission it, I'm definitely willing to write it. So it was actually as simple as that, which, as you know, in publishing doesn't happen very often, that sort of serendipitous <laughs> <laughs> commissioning of a book that, you know, you kind of had percolating in the back of your mind that wouldn't it be nice to do more for one or two people, you know, more recipes for one or two people because the, the, the tyranny of the big group. I say this as someone who's very introverted. So I actually find cooking for large crowds really stressful. Oh God, so do I. So stressful. Yeah, hugely stressful. It's the performative aspect of cooking that I've never really enjoyed. And I find it much more meditative and soothing and you know, just frankly satisfying when I do it either for myself or for a small group or even just, you know, for me and my husband or the cat. And, um, <laughs> and, and I jumped at the chance, you know, I, I thought this is great. It's a, it's exactly the kind of book I want to write. It's straightforward because you can, it's so much easier to scale up from one recipe that feeds one instead of always scaling down from feeding four or six. So it's not like you have to do an, a, a bit of arithmetic every time you try to cook a meal. For yourself. I relished it. And to your point about has there been a kind of resurgence or an in, or increased awareness of cooking for one this past year? Definitely. So I, I couldn't have known that when I wrote the book, but there's there was definitely a, a noticeable uptick in interest in solo cooking from March 2020 onwards. And it's been really gratifying to see that people use the book and it's kind of had a new lease of life. So one of the things that I'm really keen to get people to think about is like having a good lunch break. And I am sort of overzealous about this on Instagram. I've got lots of posts where I'm like, the first line is, you know, take a lunch break. <laughs> Please take yeah. lunch break. <laughs> okay. Did you have a good lunch today? I'm not sure mine counts as a good one today. 
I I did have a good lunch today. Salad days are upon us. So I, I made myself a, a really simple, what you might call a chopped salad, which I love. And I love the crunch of a good chopped salad. You've got some cucumber and some tomatoes and maybe a bit of red onion that you've kind of lightly pickled either in some lemon or lime juice. And then whatever is in the fridge and the cupboard. So if there's like a tin of tuna or got some beans and olives, just whatever is to hand, basically. And I have actually increased my salad intake since reading Emily Nunn's fabulous newsletter, The Department of Salad, which I highly recommend to anyone who wants a good nourishing lunch that isn't a sandwich. And yeah, so just trying to be a bit more healthy at lunchtime. How about you? Well, I am recipe developing at the moment for another book. So I didn't have a very big lunch. So I'm not sure this is a good representative day. But I had some really, really good goat's cheese. So I had goat's cheese on sourdough toast. But I just wanted to have like something to keep me going because I knew I was probably going to cook two or three more dishes this afternoon. (laughs) And a big lunch plus three more things is a recipe for (laughs) disaster at the end of a cookbook. So yeah, I was being cautious. But one of my things that I have quite a lot at the moment is um, like a a noodly thing. I can't even say that it has particular ethnicity or style, but it's boiling water and miso. And then I cook the noodles in the miso broth. Nice. And then I throw whatever is in the fridge that remains edible. So mushrooms or sliced carrots or any kind of greens or, or whatever. And yeah, that seems to be a regular feature. I quite often poach an egg in the broth as mm. well and then break it open yep. before I serve it and chuck a load of soy sauce and hot sauce in, into the yolk kind of thing and then sort of swirl oh, it about. sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's, it is really yeah. good. I really like yeah. it because it's um, it takes about 15 minutes, which I reckon is your kind of max interest level when you're making lunch just yep. for yourself. I think 15 minutes is kind of the right thing. I mean, I think we might be in agreement on this, but why would you say that having a lunch break is important? Why do you think it means something to have a a lunch break, even if it's a solitary one? Well, it's about taking time out during the day and resetting. You know, it's as simple as that. It's it's actually allowing yourself half an hour or, you know, ideally longer if you can, you know, (laughs) we don't live in France, but, uh, but if you can follow that kind of that general rule of thumb that, you know, give yourself some time away from your screen. That's really important have a, a, a nourishing lunch that tastes good, whether it's leftovers from the night before or whether, as you say, some noodley dish that is quick to rustle up or a salad. It's, it's, I think it's just really important to, you know, to tell yourself, okay, this break is worthwhile. I will be more productive afterwards. Um, it's never a bad thing. You won't regret having a decent lunch. That's my motto. And you know, it's as simple as that, really. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. I think there's so many, there are so many threads to it, aren't there? Like, if you have a decent lunch, then you're much less likely to eat half a bag of hobnobs at 3pm. And it's a kind of fallacy, isn't it? You think, oh, if I eat lightly now, then I'll, my intake over the course of the day is lower. But actually, that's a kind of bit of false logic. Because certainly for me, if I don't eat enough, then I get crashy. And then my willpower to eat properly is extremely low. And that either means at 5pm, I'm kind of stuffing roasted salted peanuts into my face, or, you know, (laughs) I've eaten a load of biscuits or or whatever. Mm. I'm a big believer in the rituals of finishing a day of work. And it would be very easy to add a food ritual into that. And I don't need an extra eating experience in my life. Yeah, same. (laughs) I don't need I don't need another occasion in the day where I'm consuming. (laughs) There are plenty. Yeah. I mean it sounds super cliched in Californian, but I I sort of made myself over the years or kind of trained myself that if if I do feel exhausted at the end of the day, you know, I'll take I'll literally just take an emergency vitamin, you know, one of those like soluble vitamins, and (laughs) do some gentle exercise. And that 
generally tends to what like wash away that craving that kind of need for some sort of comfort it's a very strange thing that the brain goes through but it's it's a highly effective I find at least for me it's highly effective way of stopping myself from having that glass of wine and the snacks and and or just getting a dirty takeaway or something you know just something that's like oh no it's just not gonna feel very good so yeah sometimes just taking a beat and asking yourself like why am I doing this and acknowledging it and being like, okay, what, what's a more constructive path? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I quite often mention my therapist in these conversations. My therapist often <laughs> says like, what's the feeling and what does it need from you? Mm. Um, which yeah. I think is a really useful way of thinking about it. Like, what are you feeling? Because you're probably not actually feeling, I really want a glass of wine, I really want a glass of wine. I, really, I mean, I am. But there's something underneath that yeah. often, not always. Sometimes. Well, I think it's also like it's, it's a nice evening and you want a glass of wine. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's also a sensory thing. Like, I, I think sometimes we forget that in the conversation about food that it's, um, you know, unless you're kind of very strict and like, you know, it's like a, as an agnostic person, I don't have any kind of deep religious feelings about this, but I don't think we should live in a state of sort of abnegation because actually, if you enjoy something and you like, the taste of it then you should have it once in a while you know it's not it's it's not something to punish yourself with you know we kind of live in this state of like constant anxiety about what we consume but actually if it's delicious like have it once in a while enjoy it <laughs> yeah and that's the point isn't it enjoy it it's like have the thing enjoy it have yourself a nice lunch when you work by yourself enjoy it have a lunch break enjoy it don't be on your phone you know enjoy the time do things at the end of the day which help you to transition away from work that you enjoy. Yeah, untether yourself from <laughs> from everything else. Yeah, um, and sometimes those things will be, you know, a nice meal. Sometimes there'll be a, a movie. Sometimes it will be going for a run. You know, they will vary. Um, but you have to kind of, yeah, like you say, untether yourself. I mean, you must have thought about this when you were writing your cookbook solo. Why do you think people find it hard to kind of cook and prepare something good for themselves? As again, that came up so often in the conversations that I was having with other solo workers. I wouldn't, if someone came round, I wouldn't just shove a pot of hummus and three broken breadsticks at them and be like, that's lunch. Bye. <laughs> why do we do that? Why, why, don't we, why don't we kind of lavish attention on ourselves in that way, do you think? There's a number of ways you could approach that question. It's a really good question. One of them is culturally, I think there's probably, there's probably some really interesting cross-cultural research one could do about you know, looking after oneself and whether you grew up in the UK or in Europe or in East Asia or any other part of the world, you know, it's about valuing yourself. And that, and that sounds like such a cliche, but it's actually saying, look, I'm taking the time for myself. I'm worth it. You know, it's an affirmation of your self-worth, which I think is really important. You know, we have agency or as insofar as we have agency to do that. You know, I appreciate that for those who are disabled or have challenges in, in being able to do that at home, that's, a, that's another matter altogether. But if you have the means to do so, then it's about reframing your thinking. So rather than saying, oh, I can't be bothered or is it really worthwhile? You know, I'll just grab something on the go. Just making that time for yourself, I think, is really, really vital to your sense of being, your sense of going out there with confidence into the world. I would say that actually stepping back and doing that for yourself is a is kind of a foundational building block. You know, it's like saying if you don't value yourself in terms of your nourishment and you're looking after your your health and your well-being, then no one else is going to. You know, it's, you've got to start with yourself first. I think you're completely right. Like I have done a few talks recently to groups of solo workers. And, and again, this question of like, how do I take a break? How do I not work till really late? How do I take a lunch break? All of that stuff comes up. And I always end up saying, 
you have a right, like a legally enshrined right, to a lunch break. And if you were working mm -hmm. in a traditional office environment and somebody said to you, I'm not going to allow you a lunch break that's any longer than five minutes, or I'm not going to allow you a lunch break at all, or your office mm -hmm. canteen only stocked cereal, you'd be like, what? <laughs> yeah. And you'd leave. And you, you would know very clearly that your, your rights as an employee were being broken, that you, you, know, you were being mistreated. And yet we do that to ourselves. And it's been really interesting seeing the response of the people that I've talked to about this, because they've all been like, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have a right to this. It's not, it's not about, I mean, it is about self-care. But if you can, you can strip that away, and there are still incredibly big values to having a lunch break. Like it's, you know, even if it's not self-care in and of itself, it's bigger than that. You know, we have to maintain these kind of worker rights for ourselves, I think. Otherwise, what is there in life? There's just work. There's nothing to do except yeah. work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and there's also plenty of research to show that if you take a break, and I think it's really valuable to do something, as you say, sort of meditative, like cooking, which decouples your mind from the work that you were doing before, then mm -hmm. arguably you often find that the work that follows is better, is yeah. more productive, yeah. is quicker to finish, allows you to get away from the work and back to your the rest of your life. All yeah. of that stuff kind of follows on from taking a lunch break. We think of it as an hour that we're taking away from our work, but I would argue that actually you're probably gaining speed in the work that yeah. follows. So it's worth it for that from that point of view. Are there any dishes that you think in terms of kind of interesting lunches in particular that kind of could ease people into a way of thinking about food in a more positive way like as I said earlier my my dish is like the noodle thing super quick and really easy to make are there other dishes maybe from your book or maybe just in your repertoire as a whole where you can be like like this is what you could do and it takes five minutes and get people into that way of thinking about having a good lunch I actually really advocate people who are not that familiar with cooking from scratch all the time for themselves I always say look don't be afraid to compromise so if that means starting out with say a fish finger sandwich oh, or wrap I know I mean we always have them on standby. I mean, the freezer is your friend as a solo cook for lots of reasons. Cook up some fish fingers, have your toast or your wrap or whatever it is you want to eat it with, and then make a really quick green herby salsa. You know, we're going into a time of year when you have more herbs available locally. Make something using what you have in your cupboard. You could use olives, you could use gherkins, you could use anchovies, which I love. Uh, you could use fresh herbs, vinegar, all of it. I mean, it's one of those really simple, quick, sauces that basically you could use with anything, any sort of sandwich, any lunch dish, but it just lifts a very simple, you know, cheat <laughs> ingredient. But it's just that thing of like telling yourself, okay, I'm I'm not going to go to the, the supermarket or the local cafe and buy something, but I will use what I have in-house and I will make shortcuts. And that's not a problem. Like that's a good way to start. And then you kind of build, you build your confidence as you go along. You might say, okay, I'm going to use that sauce tomorrow and maybe have it with some cheese and a very quickly flash cooked piece of chicken or something else, some sort of protein that you can then, I mean, you know this as well, having written about it, but that idea of having shortcuts makes life as a solo cook so much easier. And I think that no one should ever be afraid of making those shortcuts and compromises. Like we live in a, in a polarized age and guess what? Compromise yeah. is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're so right. And I don't know, yeah. there's such easy things to do once you start thinking about them definitely but they are so nice especially in the winter to give yourself something hot 
it's so easy to fall into the rut of just having cheese and pickle sandwiches. And I'm not against a cheese exactly. and pickle sandwich, but, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can, have, you can have so much more with only a couple more minutes of kind of effort and thought. And a lot of that comes down to planning. You know, it's about having a decently stocked pantry or store cupboard. It's having a freezer full of things like fish fingers, bean burgers, brioche buns. You know, bread freeze, freezes so well. It's just such a useful thing to have on standby. Herbs freeze really well. You know, there's just so many things that we can have in our freezer, in our cupboards that will make a really decent nourishing lunch. And you don't have to go down the same track every single day and feel like, oh my God, I'm just eating, you know, beans on toast all the time. Not that there's anything wrong with beans on toast, but there's a time and place yeah. for it. You've got to start somewhere. And I, I think the other point I was going to make about the sort of salsa or the slaw indeed is that texture is really important. I think just having those textural contrasts is really important to feel like you're eating something that's sustaining and satisfying. And if everything is quite one dimensional, then you get bored very quickly. So you, you just got to kind of yeah. figure out ways to switch it up. Yeah. And I think to add to that as well, contrasting flavors, like I quite often buy this um, chipotle bean soup from in a tin from the local supermarket but I like to put feta cheese on top of it like a crumble feta cheese on and then squeeze some lime juice over the top and it's like a totally different thing when it's plain and on its own it's just a relatively boring soup in a tin bit spicy but kind of fine but when you've got like the tanginess of feta and the sourness of the lime juice it just it lifts the whole thing in the same way that I'm guessing your um your green sauce does like again it's it's small steps small bits of effort because let's face it opening a tin of soup microwaving it putting some cheese on top it's not hard (laughs) yeah exactly and it doesn't have to be like it's not a it's not a competition you know we're not going on MasterChef or any other kind of cooking program to show off our skills it's just about coming up with something that is satisfying it's quick to prepare and it's not rocket science (laughs) but it is really important like I do think that it it adds value to your your day and it is it's an act of not just self-care but I think self-love as well it's an act of of saying you know I matter in amongst all of this. Absolutely. It was also a creative, creative process, you know, to actually be able to, I mean, you know, many of us in sort of in the food community will kind of joke about a fridge forage and how satisfying that can be that you can take something out of the fridge and rustle up a meal in a few minutes. But there is genuinely, you know, that, that old cliche of like necessity is the mother of all invention. You, you use what you have. Sometimes you come up with your best meals just using what's there and you haven't had to go out for new, new ingredients. Yeah. So I think that kind of creative side of things, again, going back to what you said about taking a break, resetting, it allows your brain to kind of restore itself. And I think that sort of creative process is is really valuable, you know, no matter what kind of work you do, whether it's a creative job or not. But that idea of letting your brain relax fully and doing something creative is really, it resets you in a really positive way, I think, for the rest of the day. Yeah, I totally agree. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So do you have maybe four or five other things, ingredients that are worth keeping on standby? What are your kind of... That's a question I get asked a lot and I, I always fudge the answer because... I, I have so many ingredients that I would recommend. Um, you know, it's a well-stocked cupboard. Well, you can do a list. You can do like a whole a shopping list. That's fine. But like, what would, I guess, what are the things that appear most often in your kind of weekday? Okay, so I would say what appears most often would be lemons, any kind of citrus, because again, it's that uplifting sense of a bit of acidity or a bit of sweetness if you have some lovely citrus in the winter. But lemons are a great standby because they keep well. Um, you can use both the zest and the juice in lots of different ways. Ne- you know, Never waste the, the, the lemon zest or lime zest for that matter. Then I would say having a decent protein that doesn't require cooking. So whether that's tinned fish, I'm a massive devotee of tinned fish. I think they're wonderful and everyone should have them in their cupboards, especially oily tinned fish like mackerel and sardines. And then I would say the some sort of fresh herb is really useful at any time of year, whether you keep that in the freezer or if you have some in your kitchen. Um, I'm particularly partial to basil and parsley and dill, obviously the garlic of the north. We love our dill in Scandinavia. And so that's three. Oh, God, I've only got two more. OK, <laughs> what else? Uh, eggs. I mean, the humble egg mm. deserves an award just for being wonderful because you can do so many things with eggs. So always have those on standby. And... What else do we always have? I'm trying to think. I mean, some sort of green, you know, whether it's a seasonal green, like I know we all joke about the winter greens that be quite, they can be quite hard or challenging to deal with, like your turnips and your swedes and <laughs> parsnips and, you know, the things that we get in our veg boxes kind of from sort of November through March. But most of those things can be roasted and they're delicious or they can be made into a slaw, as you suggested. And mm. so I think never shy away from having quite simple seasonal produce you know that's a really useful thing to have at any time of the year and it's easier I think as we go into spring and summer because you have an abundance of fresh produce that doesn't require a lot of effort and cooking and manhandling um so it's so but it's that, that idea of just finding that right that nutritional balance and also finding the kind of flavor balance and then of course your usual you know the, this multitude of things like sun-dried tomato pastes and, you know, things to add umami and and savory depth to dishes are really useful. You know, anything with olives, Parmesan and feta, both fantastic cheeses for adding flavor to any, pretty much any dish you can think of. Yeah, I think, yeah, that all sounds brilliant. Um, The other thing that it made me think of with the greens, the winter greens is like one thing I've been doing with, with broccoli and with kale is wilting them down with garlic and chili. And then just having them on toast. Yeah. Like, I don't I don't think we should shy away from stuff on toast. Absolutely. <laughs> when you're a solo worker, whether it's eggs or cheese or I like smashed up cannellini beans with rosemary and a bit of garlic and like maybe some ricotta if I've got any or nothing if I don't and extra virgin olive oil on top. Like, you know, they're really simple yeah. things. And it is as simple in many cases as like opening a tin, opening a yeah. jar, <laughs> putting it on some really nice toast. It doesn't have to yeah. be super fancy gourmet. <laughs> exactly. But we, we do, particularly in the UK, I think we have a quite a difficult relationship with eating by ourselves publicly. It'd be interesting to get your take on that. I wonder what, what you think about that. Just as a sort of side note, it's just an interesting issue. So eating in restaurants on your own, I think it's actually a real treat. You can pick whatever you want. You can pick the restaurant that you want. 
And I pick my restaurants quite carefully for this particular task because I don't like going in somewhere where I'm made to feel like I'm an awkward guest or visitor because I'm on my own, you know. So the best restaurants are the ones that have people who immediately recognize that you're on your own and that is not a problem and it nor should it be a problem you know you're still a paying customer i find restaurants with bar counters tend to be more conducive for the solo diner just because somehow that feels more informal and you don't feel like you're having a full kind of table set up for you and you're not as on display so if you go to a restaurant that has like a lovely bar counter where you can sit and eat it's interesting and it, it, you should ask that question because i was thinking about it earlier that in asia they have so many brilliant restaurants that are extremely informal where you can go in, sitting down with a bowl of noodles or a bowl of rice, and you eat on your own. You eat quite quickly. You're in and out in a few minutes. And no one would think that that was unusual or strange, you know, whereas I think in the UK and maybe maybe not so much on the continent, but maybe in the UK still, there's a site like, oh, you're on your own. You must be a sad person. Mm. No, I mean, it's, not, it's like there's nothing sad about going out and eating by yourself. People always say, oh, you're so brave to go out and sit in a restaurant on your own. No, there's nothing brave about it. If nothing else, it's like a relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, I find it really joyful. I really like it. But I do remember being in Paris for work by myself and, and going to a restaurant. And, and the rest of it was really delightful, the whole experience. I took a book and I had a really, really good meal. But I remember the waiter coming up to me and being like, on your own? Huh. And I, I was like... Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. You know, there was just something like the, t the tilt of the head. Mm. Oh, that's a shame. And I was it's like, no, cool. no, 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 no. I'm really enjoying this. It's not cool. It's not cool. But I think the reason why that stuff's important is because it filters through, doesn't it, to how mm. we, we think when we're on our own at home as well. Like, I, I do think that in the UK, and I don't know how things are in the US about eating alone in restaurants, but I, I, yeah. I suspect it influences how we then feel about the food that we make for ourselves when we're by ourselves at home and, and how we eat on our own. So there's a sort of trickle-down effect. I should know this because I've known you for a really, really long time, but have you always worked as a solo worker or have you got kind of office life experience as well? The short answer is no, I do not have any office life experience. <laughs> I have worked for other people, whether remotely or when I was training at Leeds, I did a few stages in restaurants. So I have worked with other people. But as I mentioned before, I'm an introvert. I don't really like being bossed around. I'm quite temperamental and I have quite strong opinions about things. So I'm ba basically your like nightmare employee. And, <laughs> and I realized that pretty early on in life that I was not going to be able to work really for anyone but myself. And my father has his own business and he's always worked for himself. So I think there's probably a strong environmental push there from having been raised by someone like that to go your own path. Because I guess what I was wondering about is people who have kind of had this abrupt shift to mm -hmm. solo working, who might have had a kind of, and I, I would say that I had this when I worked at the Observer, a kind of mild pret-a-manger slash office canteen dependency. Mm. And that's quite, a, that's quite a hard transition, isn't it? To have been in a working environment where your lunch was a kind of given, you just had to decide where you went to get it which honestly felt mm. quite challenging at the time, bizarrely. <laughs> um, and, and now to having a kind of a wealth of choice in some ways in that you could make yourself absolutely anything, but, but also feeling quite sort of challenged potentially as well because it's, mm. such, a new, it's such a new thing to have to think about. Yeah. Do you think that's a big issue at the moment? I think it's certainly been a big issue during the 
pandemic, that kind of decision fatigue has really been, certainly anecdotally, that seems to be a problem for a lot of people I know, and I'm sure you do as well. And um, But generally, I think for solo workers working from home or working from their, if they're in a sort of sharing office space, I guess it's about reframing your approach to it and saying, okay, I no longer rely on Pret or the local supermarket and the kind of whatever they've got in their takeaway cabinet. But at home, you have to, you have agency, right? So you, if you're at home and you're self-employed and you're making your own lunches and your meals throughout the day, I totally get that that can feel exhausting and the decisions you make and the choices you have can seem overwhelming, right? You want to kind of cut down the number of decisions you make in life to the absolute minimum if you can. But, and I had to remind myself of this quite recently, that it's a really good habit to get into however often you can, whether it's like on a Sunday morning, you know, over a nice cup of coffee, or even just once a month, it doesn't have to be rigid or a regular timing. It's kind of up to you how you work and how you think. But getting in the habit and actually planning some sort of menu for yourself, whether it's a week ahead or a month ahead, making sure you've got the requisite ingredients to be able to make those meals, have them in house, you know, have your menu on the fridge door, you know, whatever it is that kind of makes your life easier. I find that massively helpful. I've been doing it throughout the last year since we've all been home so much more than usual. And it's actually a bit of a treat. It's like, oh, I can't go out to a restaurant, but look at the menu that I've created. You know, again, it's that sort of creative exercise. And you do have to set aside the time to do it. I know this is really so much easier said than done. And, you know, if you have some good cookbooks, that definitely helps. But there's like a incredible raft of or wealth of resources online that you can turn to. You know, there's just brilliant recipes everywhere now. So, you have to decide what you want to eat, how you're going to nourish yourself. It's kind of, again, it's like sort of, you've got to take agency over those decisions. No one's going to do it for you. You can't really, you can outsource it if you're very wealthy. Like if you've got, you know, if you happen to be extremely wealthy, great. You know, you can get someone else to do it for you. But most of us kind of, you know, trying to make, make a living with limited resources, then yeah, you've just got to, it's a bit like an old fashioned trick that our kind of grandmothers or, or, you know, previous generations would have had to do, which was just an economy of effort, you know, making the most of ingredients that you have available, like thinking these things through. It's not, you know, I think so much of our lives that has been outsourced to other either companies or we've got apps on our phone that we can pretty much do anything on and actually having that sort of slightly old-fashioned approach to to cooking is is no bad thing I think in in moderation yeah I think that's really that's really good advice I'd also yeah reflect exactly back that the decision fatigue thing is is real (laughs) it was interesting I mean I think we were in a thread weren't we together on Twitter a couple of days ago um was it Damien Barr the writer Damien Barr who was saying that he never wants to cook anything ever again in his entire life and he hates absolutely everything that he knows how to cook and (laughs) which I can so identify with I was trying at the very moment that I read the tweet I should have not been on Twitter I should have been making a meal at that moment um and I was on Twitter because I just couldn't bear the idea of making another decision about what to eat. So, yeah. um, and, you know, you and I are in the food world and have thousands of recipes in our heads, let alone in the massive collections of cookbooks I know we both have. So it's hard, yeah, like it is particularly at the moment hard. So I think we also have to cut ourselves some slack when we get in a bit of a pickle about this stuff. I think we should probably, you know, take a deep breath and give ourselves a day off and then try again tomorrow and not live on takeout forever, but a kind of 
also not set our standards kind of impossibly high as well. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not a competition. That's what you have to remind yourself. You're not, you're not trying to show off to anyone. It's just you, you know, you, yeah. you're on your own. You can do what you want. You know, you can either resist that. And we know that resistance and aversion is usually because there's something going on in your head that is making you resistant, you know, so you're going through something or life is hard or the work is hard. But actually, I think if you acknowledge that and say, okay, this is a challenge, but I'm going to get through it, you know, and it's, it's not going to be perfect, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. It's, it's fine. It's just lunch. <laughs> yeah, it's just lunch. Just lunch. It doesn't like, have to be perfect. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brilliant. Thank you so much, Sig. This has been such a pleasure. Oh, um, well, thanks I'm, for having I'm me. I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so happy that we managed to do this. Oh, well, thank It's very kind of you to ask me along. There's so much good stuff to take from what Sig says. I think one of the important things is that we don't think that we have to make radical changes to every single lunch that we're going to have in our solo working lives. And maybe the way forward would be to experiment with one or two lunches a week where you treat yourself to something really great or you carve out a little bit of extra time to make something. But I don't think that we need to get the idea that it's got to be a radical shift and that you need to cook yourself a three-course meal um, every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I think it can be a lot more subtle than that. In a way, the most important thing, the biggest message that I'd like everybody to take from this is to just have a lunch break and to make it an actual break. Um, the stuff that we eat within it, maybe that's secondary to the fact that we actually take a bit of time off in the middle of our day. And then slowly we can kind of build the habits around that notion that mean that subtly over time we begin to take our actual lunch a little bit more seriously and treat ourselves with a little bit more care. If you've liked what you've heard on The Solo Collective, then I would love it if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And do share us with anybody who you know who you think might benefit from joining us in The Solo Collective. You have been listening to a Chalk and Blade original, The Solo Collective, with me, Rebecca Seal. Produced by Laura Hyde, with support from Fatuma Keira, original music by Dee Plume, and mixed by Alex Portfelix. Chalk and Blade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.